Hello and welcome, friends, family, and enemies alike, to episode 36 of Reading Cadence. I am your host, the displaced Wisconsinite, Phil Olson, and today we continue reading through War and Peace with chapters 23 and 24. Will Prince Vasily and Princess Catherine succeed in foiling the inheritance that Pierre is now destined to receive? Well, let us begin. Chapter 23 Pierre well knew this large room divided by columns in an arch, its walls hung round with Persian carpets. The part of the room behind the columns, with a high silk-curtained mahogany bedstead on one side, and on the other an immense case containing icons, was brightly illuminated with red light like a Russian church during evening service. Under the gleaming icons stood a long invalid chair, and in that chair, on snowy white smooth pillows, evidently freshly changed, Pierre saw, covered to the waist by a bright green quilt, the familiar, majestic figure of his father, Count Bazukov, with that grey mane of hair above his broad forehead, which remind one of a lion, and the deep, characteristically noble wrinkles of his handsome, ruddy face. He lay just under the icons, his large, thick hands outside the quilt. Into the right hand, which was lying palm downwards, a wax taper had been thrust between forefinger and thumb, and an old servant, bending over from behind the chair, held it in position. By the chair stood the priests, their long hair falling over their magnificent glittering vestments, with lighted tapers in their hands, slowly and solemnly conducting the service. A little behind them stood the two younger princesses, holding handkerchiefs to their eyes, and just in front of them, their eldest sister, Catherine, with a vicious and determined look steadily fixed on the icons, as though declaring to all that she could not answer for herself should she glance round. Anna Mikhailovna, with a meek, sorrowful, and all-forgiving expression on her face, stood by the door near the strange lady. Prince Vasily, in front of the door, near the invalid chair, a wax taper in his left hand, was leaning his left arm on the carved back of a velvet chair he had turned round for the purpose, and was crossing himself with his right hand, turning his eyes upward, each time he touched his forehead. His face wore a calm look of piety and resignation to the will of God. If you do not understand these sentiments, he seemed to be saying, so much worse for you. Behind him stood the aide-de-camp, the doctors, and the men-servants. The men and women had separated, as in church. All were silently crossing themselves, and the reading of the church service, the subdued chanting of deep bass voices, and in the interval sighs and the shuffling of feet, were the only sounds that could be heard. Anna Mikhailovna, 
with an air of importance that showed that she felt she quite knew what she was about, went across the room to where Pierre was standing and gave him a taper. He lit it and, distracted by observing those around him, began crossing himself with the hand that held the taper. Sophie, the rosy, laughter-loving youngest princess with the mole, watched him. She smiled, hid her face in her handkerchief, and remained with it hidden for a while. Then, looking up and seeing Pierre, she again began to laugh. She evidently felt unable to look at him without laughing, but could not resist looking at him. So to be out of temptation, she slipped quietly behind one of the columns. In the midst of the service, the voices of the priests suddenly ceased. They whispered to one another, and the old servant who was holding the Count's hand got up and said something to the ladies. Anna Mikhailovna stepped forward and, stooping over the dying man, beckoned to Lorraine from behind her back. The French doctor held no taper. He was leaning against one of the columns in a respectful attitude, implying that he, a foreigner, in spite of all the differences of faith, understood the full importance of the rite now being performed, and even approved of it. He now approached the sick man with the noiseless step of one in full vigor of life, with his delicate white fingers raised from the green quilt, the hand that was free, and turning sideways, felt the pulse and reflected a moment. The sick man was given something to drink. There was a stir around him. Then the people resumed their places, and the service continued. During this interval, Pierre noticed that Prince Vasily left the chair on which he had been leaning, and, with an air which intimated that he knew what he was about, and if others did not understand him, it was so much the worse for them, did not go up to the dying man, but passed by him, joined the eldest princess, and moved with her to the side of the room where stood the high bedstead with its silken hangings. On leaving the bed, both Prince Vasily and the princess passed out by a back door, but returned to their places one after the other before the service was concluded. Pierre paid no more attention to this occurrence than to the rest of what went on, having made up his mind once for all that what he saw happening around him that evening was in some way essential. The chanting of the service ceased, and the voice of the priest was heard respectfully congratulating the dying man on having received the sacrament. The dying man lay as lifeless and immovable as before. Around him, everyone began to stir. Steps were audible, and whispers, among which Anna Mikhailovna's, was the most distinct. Pierre heard her say, Certainly he must be moved onto the bed. Here it will be impossible. The sick man was so surrounded by doctors, princesses, and servants that Pierre could no longer see the reddish-yellow face with its gray mane, which, though he saw other faces as well, he had not lost sight of for a single moment during the whole service. He judged by the cautious movements of those who crowded round the invalid chair that they had lifted the dying man and were moving him. 
Catch hold of my arm or you'll drop him, he heard one of the servants say in a frightened whisper. Catch hold from him underneath, here, exclaimed different voices, and the heavy breathing of the bearers and the shuffling of their feet grew more hurried, as if the weight they were carrying were too much for them. As the bearers, among whom was Anna Mikhailovna, passed the young man, he caught a momentary glimpse between their heads and backs of the dying man's high, stout, uncovered chest and powerful shoulders raised by those who were holding him under the armpits and of his gray, curly, leonine head. This head, with its remarkably broad brow and cheekbones, its handsome, sensual mouth, and its cold and majestic expression was not disfigured by the approach of death. It was the same as Pierre remembered it three months before when the Count had sent him to Petersburg. But now this head was swaying helplessly with the uneven movements of the bearers and the cold listless gaze fixed itself upon nothing. After a few minutes bustle beside the high bedstead those who had carried the sick man dispersed. Anna Mikhailovna touched Pierre's hand and said, Come. Pierre went with her to the bed on which the sick man had been laid in a stately pose, in keeping with the ceremony just completed. He lay with his head propped high on the pillows. His hands were symmetrically placed on the green silk quilt, the palms downward. When Pierre came up, the Count was gazing straight at him, but with a look, the significance of which could not be understood by mortal man. Either this look meant nothing but that as long as one eyes, they must look somewhere, or it meant too much. Pierre hesitated, not knowing what to do, and glanced inquiringly at his guide. Anna Mikhailovna made a hurried sign with her eyes, glancing at the sick man's hand, and moving her lips as if to send it a kiss. Pierre, carefully stretching his neck so as to not touch the quilt, followed her suggestion and pressed his lips to the large, boned, fleshy hand. Neither the hand nor a single muscle of the Count's face stirred. Once more, Pierre looked questioningly at Anna Mikhailovna to see what he was to do next. Anna Mikhailovna, with her eyes, indicated a chair that stood beside the bed. Pierre obediently sat down, his eyes asking if he were doing right. Anna Mikhailovna nodded approvingly. Again, Pierre fell into the naively symmetrical pose of an Egyptian statue, evidently distressed that his stout and clumsy body took up so much room, and doing his utmost to look as small as possible. He looked at the Count, who still gazed at the spot where Pierre's face had been before he sat down. Anna Mikhailovna indicated by her attitude, her consciousness of the pathetic importance of these last moments of meeting between the father and son. This lasted about two minutes, which to Pierre seemed an hour. Suddenly, the broad muscles and lines of the Count's face began to twitch. The twitching increased. The handsome mouth was drawn to one side. Only now did Pierre realize how near death his father was. And from that distorted mouth issued an indistinct hoarse sound.
Anna Mikhailovna looked attentively at the sick man's eyes, trying to guess what he wanted. She pointed first to Pierre, then to some drink, then named Prince Vasily in an inquiring whisper, then pointed to the quilt. The eyes and face of the sick man showed impatience. He made an effort to look at the servant who stood constantly at the head of the bed. Wants to turn on the other side, whispered the servant, and got up to turn the Count's heavy body toward the wall. Pierre rose to help him. While the Count was being turned over, one of his arms fell back helplessly, and he made a fruitless effort to pull it forward. Whether he noticed the look of terror with which Pierre regarded that lifeless arm, or whether some other thought flitted across his dying brain, at any rate, he glanced at the refractory arm, at Pierre's terror-stricken face, and again at the arm, and on his face a feeble, piteous smile appeared, quite out of keeping with his features that seemed to deride his own helplessness. At sight of this smile, Pierre felt an unexpected quivering in his breast and a tickling in his nose, and tears dimmed his eyes. The sick man was turned onto his side with his face to the wall. He sighed. He is dozing, said Anna Mikhailovna, observing that one of the princesses was coming to take her turn at watching. Let us go. Pierre went out. End of chapter 23. Chapter 24. There was now no one in the reception room except Prince Vasily and the eldest princess, who were sitting under the portrait of Catherine the Great and talking eagerly. As soon as they saw Pierre and his companion, they became silent, and Pierre thought he saw the princess hide something as she whispered. I can't bear the sight of that woman. Catherine has had tea served in the small drawing room, said Prince Vasily to Anna Mikhailovna. Go and take something, my poor Anna Mikhailovna, or you will not hold out. To Pierre, he said nothing, merely giving his arm a sympathetic squeeze below the shoulder. Pierre went with Anna Mikhailovna into the small drawing room. There is nothing so refreshing after a sleepless night as a cup of this delicious Russian tea, Lorraine was saying with an air of restrained animation as he stood sipping tea from a delicate Chinese handleless cup before a table on which tea and a cold supper were laid in the small circular room. Around the table, all who were at Count Bezukhov's house that night had gathered to fortify themselves. Pierre well remembered this small circular drawing room with its mirrors and little tables. During balls given at the house, Pierre, who did not know how to dance, had liked sitting in this room to watch the ladies who, as they passed through in their ball dresses with diamonds and pearls on their bare shoulders, looked at themselves in the brilliantly lighted mirrors which repeated their reflections several times. Now this same room was dimly lighted by two candles. On one small tea table, things and supper dishes stood in disorder, and in the middle of the night, a motley throng of people sat there, not merry-making, but somberly whispering and betraying by every word and movement that they none of them forgot what was happening 
and what was about to happen in the bedroom. Pierre did not eat anything, though he would have very much have liked to. He looked inquiringly at his monitress and saw that she was again going on tiptoe to the reception room where they had left Prince Vasily and the eldest princess. Pierre concluded that this also was essential, and after a short interval, followed her. Anna Mikhailovna was standing beside the princess, and they were both speaking in excited whispers. Permit me, princess, to know what is necessary and what is not necessary, said the younger of the two speakers, evidently in the same state of excitement as when she had slammed the door of her room. But my dear princess, answered Anna Mikhailovna blandly but impressively, blocking the way to the bedroom and preventing the other from passing. Won't this be too much for poor uncle at the moment when he needs repose? Worldly conversation at a moment when his soul is already prepared? Prince Vasily was seated in an easy chair in his familiar attitude, with one leg crossed high above the other. His cheeks, which were so flabby that they looked heavier below, were twitching violently but he wore the air of a man little concerned in what the two ladies were saying. Come, my dear Anna Mikhailovna, let Catherine do as she pleases. You know how fond the Count is of her. I don't even know what is in this paper, said the younger of the two ladies, addressing Prince Vasily and pointing to an inlaid portfolio she held in her hand. All I know is that his real will is in his writing table. And this is a paper he has forgotten. She tried to pass Anna Mikhailovna, but the latter sprang so as to bar her path. I know, my dear kind princess, said Anna Mikhailovna, seizing the portfolio so firmly that it was plain she would not let go easily. Dear princess, I beg and implore you, have some pity on him. Je vous en conjure. The princess did not reply. Their efforts in the struggle for the portfolio were the only sounds audible, but it was evident that if the princess did speak, her words would be not flattering to Anna Mikhailovna. Though the latter held on tenaciously, her voice lost none of its honeyed firmness and softness. Pierre, my dear, come here. I think he will not be out of place in a family consultation. Is it not so, Prince? Why don't you speak, cousin? Suddenly shrieked the princess so loud that those in the drawing room heard her and were startled. Why do you remain silent when heaven knows who permits herself to interfere, making a scene on the very threshold of a dying man's room? Intriguer! She hissed viciously and tugged with all her might, at the portfolio. But Anna Mikhailovna went forward a step or two to keep her hold on the portfolio, and changed her grip. Prince Vasily rose. Oh, said he with reproach and surprise. This is absurd. Come, let go, I tell you. The princess let go. And you too. But Anna Mikhailovna did not obey him. Let go, I tell you. I will take the responsibility. I myself will go and ask him. I... Does that satisfy you? 
but prince, said Anna Mikhailovna. After such a solemn sacrament, allow him a moment's peace. Here, Pierre, tell them your opinion, said she, turning to the young man, who, having come quite close, was gazing with astonishment at the angry face of the princess, which had lost all dignity, and at the twitching cheeks of Prince Vasily. Remember that you will answer for your consequences, said Prince Vasily severely. You don't know what you are doing. Vile woman, shouted the princess, darting unexpectedly at Anna Mikhailovna and snatching the portfolio from her. Prince Vasily bent his head and spread out his hands. At this moment, that terrible door, which Pierre had watched so long and which had always opened so quietly, burst noisily open and banged against the wall, and the second of the three sisters rushed out, wringing her hands. What are you doing? she cried vehemently. He is dying! and you leave me alone with him. Her sister dropped the portfolio. Anna Mikhailovna, stooping, quickly caught up the object of contention and ran into the bedroom. The eldest princess and Prince Vasily, recovering themselves, followed her. A few minutes later, the eldest sister came out with a pale, hard face, again biting her underlip. At sight of Pierre, her expression showed an irrepressible hatred. Yes, now you may be glad, said she. This is what you've been waiting for. And bursting into tears, she hid her face in her handkerchief and rushed from the room. Prince Vasily came next. He staggered to the sofa on which Pierre was sitting and dropped onto it covering his face with his hand. Pierre noticed that he was pale and that his jaw quivered and shook as if in an ague. Ah, oh, my friend, said he, taking Pierre by the elbow, and there was in his voice a sincerity and weakness Pierre had never observed in it before. How often we sin, how much we deceive, and all for what? I'm near sixty, dear friend. I too. All will end in death. All. Death is awful. And he burst into tears. Anna Mikhailovna came out last. She approached Pierre with slow, quiet steps. Pierre, she said. Pierre gave her an inquiring look. She kissed the young man on his forehead, wetting him with her tears. Then, after a pause, she said, He is no more. Pierre looked at her over his spectacles. Come, I will go with you. Try to weep. Nothing gives such relief as tears. She led him into the dark drawing room and Pierre was glad no one could see his face. Anna Mikhailovna left him, and when she returned, he was fast asleep with his head on his arm. In the morning, Anna Mikhailovna said to Pierre, Yes, my dear, this is a great loss for us all, not to speak of you. 
but God will support you. You are young, and are now, I hope, in command of an immense fortune. The will has not yet been opened. I know you well enough to be sure that this will not turn your head, but it imposes duties on you, and you must be a man. Pierre was silent. Perhaps later on I may tell you, my dear boy, that if I had not been there, God only knows what would have happened. You know, Uncle promised me only the day before yesterday not to forget Boris. But he had no time. I hope, my dear friend, you will carry out your father's wish. Pierre understood nothing of all of this, and coloring shyly looked in silence at Princess Anna Mikhailovna. After her talk with Pierre, Anna Mikhailovna returned to the Rostovs and went to bed. On waking in the morning, she told the Rostovs and all her acquaintances the details of Count Bezukhov's death. She said the Count had died as she would herself wish to die, that his end was not only touching, but edifying. As to the last meeting between father and son, it was so touching that she could not think of it without tears, and did not know which had behaved better during these awful moments. The father who so remembered everything and everybody at last, and had spoken such pathetic words to the son, or Pierre, whom it had been pitiful to see, so stricken was he with grief, though he tried hard to hide it in order not to sadden his dying father. It is painful, but it does one good. It uplifts the soul, to see such men as the old count and his worthy son, said she. Of the behavior of the eldest princess and Prince Vasily, she spoke disapprovingly, but in whispers and as a great secret. End of chapter 24 That gallant spirit hath aspired the clouds, which too untimely did here scorn the earth. Those were the words I penned and transcribed in 11th grade from the famed play by Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet, as I was writing a tribute in my English class to the long-hallowed figure of Steve something middle name Jobs, who I considered to be the greatest CEO of the entire universe at that time. And, I may add, that my eighth grade superlative was most likely to become the CEO of Apple. So, at that moment, I was processing that Steve Jobs had been taken too quickly from stage four pancreatic cancer. And that most likely I'm still in high school, so I will not be his immediate successor. Which, to be honest, took an edge off and uh, was not fully prepared for that task at 16. But I say this anecdote because here we have the man, Count Vladimirovich Bazukov, Pierre's father, Prince Vasily's father, men of two different ages, 
Pierre in his mid-twenties and Prince Vasily in his late sixties. And the starkness between how they respond to Count Bazukov's impending death is striking because here we've got Prince Vasily scheming and plotting with Princess Catherine, or as he calls her, his pet name, Princess Katish. No clue where that comes from. Maybe it's a Russian thing. I don't know. But he and her are plotting and scheming, and so they've got this whole grand idea. They're going to replace the original will that was in this inlaid portfolio that was being carried by Princess Catherine when Anna Mikhailovna caught up to her. That will they were going to replace so that it would be the one that would be read, the one that stated them and not Pierre as recipients of his fortune. Well, it failed, much to the determination of Anna Mikhailovna. And also, Count Bezukhov, who passed away. Here we've got Pierre, the most oblivious dude on the planet, but also a man, uncaring that he could be a potential recipient of this fortune that his father is leaving, which is why he is probably the best equipped person to handle it, because he now has this selfless attitude, yet he is a little naive. But the difference between Princess Catherine and Prince Vasily's response to Count Bazukov's death makes all the difference in the world. Prince Vasily, in his old aged wisdom, recognized, in the end, you can't take your wealth with you. You just can't. And the alternative, death with no wealth, what kind of life is that? And Count Bezukhov's death was marred by this conspiracy that was taking place. I don't know one thing about this man's legacy that he left behind. All I know is he was assigned great wealth and fortune, and it was hemmed and hawed between, you know, Anna Mikhailovna trying to get it for Pierre for some reason, and Prince Vasily and Princess Catherine and company. So that's sad to me, but it makes us consider, I think, I'm trying not to be too serious here, but this, is a, this isn't a valid thing that is brought up, is making sure that the legacy that you leave behind is a lasting one, not something that will be temporary and that will fade away into existence. You can't take anything with you when you die. And so might as well make it something that you can give back to other people that will last and far precede even their deaths. And so um, some wise and sage wisdom has been conveyed by Tolstoy in these chapters as we consider the death of the father, Count Bazukov. So as a sneak preview, we are nearing, finally, the end of part one out of I think it's five parts of War and Peace. It looks like we've got... Okay. We've got ten more chapters left, but 
You know, that is, that is pretty close. No, nine more chapters left. We've got nine more chapters left. I mean, but still, I mean, that's what, like five more episodes of this? And then we finally make it. Oh, crap. Hang on. Where's. <laughs> oh, shoot. We have four more chapters left. So that's two more weeks of book one of War and Peace. And my mistake, book one out of book 15, each have moderately 20 chapters in them. And then we've got first epilogue and second epilogue, which average out to 12 chapters apiece. So... I may see you in 2022 around this time, and we may have finally gotten to book 12. Or perhaps I have gone insane and just ended this. But I feel like this is a seminal book for all people to read and understand, which is why I'm reading it and persevering through it. So you don't have to. And maybe I've caught you at the time when you have been going back through my many, many long episodes and have finally arrived at this point in the story, as I have already completed the reading of War and Peace, in which case, what are you worried about? Keep on reading, man. Keep on listening, because boy howdy, it's going to get good. So thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Reading Cadence. I am your host, Phil Olson, as they say in show business. That's all he wrote.